Welcome to episode 30 of Coffee Pods and Wads. 30. Or 30. That's my Irish. Um, as always, sponsored by Born Primitive UK. You can use the code COFFEEPODS10 for money off your basket on their website, bornprimitive.co.uk. Um, thank you for listening and for your continued support of the podcast. I makes it so much easier and it just makes every day makes it feel great just logging on to instagram and having these messages of people listening and people putting on their stories and people messaging me saying that they enjoy the episode or whatever just keep it up it's like it is really great um if you enjoy it and want to join up on patreon you can go to patreon.com forward slash coffee pods and wads or i have a link tree in my bio so you can hit that uh and the link is in there uh, if you'd like a patch or a pop socket or stickers from the show whatever you can dm me and we'll sort something out um or you can email coffee pods and wads at gmail.com um if you're not on social media i've got t-shirts inbound as well uh any day now uh, so keep an eye out as soon as they come I'll put them up patients of the show will get first dibs um, limited supply of t-shirts and limited supply of vests so when they're gone they're gone um, today's guest is Sonny Webster uh, Sonny chats about coffee scene in Oz uh, and his life since he moved there um, his experience on podcasts and his ban from weightlifting and how deep it ran into his everyday life like it's insane um and we chat about lockdown hairstyles just to lighten the mood a little bit at the end uh so enjoy listen like share and tag thanks a million for doing this Sonny. i really appreciate it um no problem it's, it's weird weird times but i think it's uh getting people like you on the show has given listeners a bit of a distraction like in a bit of a probably two distractions because one people are replying to stories going like holy fuck how did you manage to do that and then two people are getting like an hour's entertainment out of it as well so it's great um, that's the plan we start off, so uh, you, you're living in Australia now, yeah? Yes, I am indeed, in Sydney. And what's the coffee scene like there? Mate, do you know what? If you've had coffee in England, you, everyone's got their favourite coffee shop, and you'd be like, yeah, I'm drinking good coffee. And I've even still got friends at home that will be ordering Nescap, those little Nespresso pods, and going, yeah. yeah, this is fucking good coffee. You come to Australia... And it's a whole nother ball game when it comes to coffee out here, brother. Serious coffee. Here in New Zealand, is best coffee I've had in the world. Hands yeah, down. I think because, well, they kind of argue in classic Australia-New Zealand fashion, but they argue over who ent- who invented the flat white. I think Australia claims it was them <laughs> and New Zealand claims it was them. <laughs> yeah, the flat white, the long black, it's, you know, yeah, it's people obsess over it here. And I think, like, you know... Um, the standard of coffee, regardless of whether you're going into what we would deem a shitty cafe in England yeah. or a nice cafe here, the standard of coffee everywhere is good. But the main thing that makes an absolute game changer, I'll let you know a secret when it comes to coffee in Australia, is the milk options. There's this one brand called Milk Lab, their almond milk, next level. And I, I, me and my girlfriend, we'll go into cafes. If they don't sell Milk Lab coffee, we won't have a coffee from there. It's just, I think, yeah, because it's kind of, I suppose, it's kind of notiony, isn't it? Like oat milk, but I think my wife likes it because it just tastes like it makes coffee taste like there's a biscuit in it, kind of. Yeah, it's yeah, it's not much smoother. It's a it's a nice additive, but we've just got like a proper um, freshly grind the coffee beans at home, and then like make all the milk and stuff. But yeah, every every we, start to the we actually have the same coffee machine. I think I saw it on your story there recently. Well, there you go. Yeah, it is uh, best money I've ever spent. It's fate that we come to this episode then. Of course. Um, 
I actually spoke to Joshua Shama a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah. For an episode. And a question that I ask everyone is, you know, what's, what's the best coffee I've ever had? So like most, most of the time it revolves around like a social scenario or, you know, a memory or something like that. And he actually picked a coffee he had with you in LA. I can't remember the name of it. Yeah. Place, but he said it was yeah, really small. Yeah, it's a good coffee. Yeah, he said yeah, it was a really small um, place. But he was like, similar to that, he was like, it wasn't even the coffee. It was like the conversation. So he was like, it was cool to see a different side of you and that he was kind of, that you talked about business and brands and stuff like that. And he just found it entertaining. So I suppose at the risk of offending Joshua, if you don't pick the same coffee, what's been your standout coffee? That that was a great chat, and I think, like you said, there's you know a lot more to a cup of coffee than than the taste of it, and it's very much about the company and you know who you're sharing that with. Um, I've been extremely fortunate, I think, over the years to have coffee with uh, a lot of inspiring people, and I think you know, I the the coffee is often overlooked um, in the, in a lot of the times that I've been able to sit down and chat with people, but. If I was to pick out one particular um, scenario that I've had having coffee would probably have been one of the first ones that I ever had when I moved, when I came over to Australia. And this was going back to 2018 and I just, end of 2018, when I've just left the UK to begin my tour um, of Australia, I didn't know anyone here. And I picked a little apartment down in Bondi to rent, as you do, standard mm. British person, comes okay. to an Australia, goes to Bondi. And I had jet lag and I woke up at five o'clock in the morning and there was this little coffee shop called Sonoma down in Bondi. And I went down there and got the, the classic long black. And I walked myself down to the beach. And I just remember sitting on this bench, it was nice and quiet, 5.30 in the morning, sun was coming up in Bondi. And it was just, I guess, that very alone time that I had there when I first mm. come to Australia that I was on the other side of the world I didn't know anyone and it was the start of a big adventure and I think you know reflecting back on on that moment for me from a personal point of view was was very special so a very enjoyable cup of coffee and I guess at the excitement of what was about to come yeah it's cool like it's I suppose like before that like your life had changed in so many ways like kind of abruptly like but it must be terrifying like there, obviously there's an element of excitement about it and an element of like, you know, a fresh start and everything, but it must be terrifying to up sticks on your own, like you say, and not, not know anyone when you land. And then it's, I suppose it's remarkable then considering that you've basically built a life for yourself. Like you're, you know, uh, settled down, you're, you know, you're like, yeah, you've got, you've got your brand fairly well set up where you are as well as internationally, I suppose. But like, it's, I suppose it's remarkable that you've come back from where you've been. And like, we'll talk about it later on and stuff, like everything that happened. But it's, I think the level of resilience shown and like, um, I suppose, what would you call it? Like bravery in keeping going. I think like 90% of the population would just roll over and give up like, or, you know, find something different to do or whatever. So I think it's, it's admirable like that you've, you know come through everything like um i suppose before you went and since you've gone to australia as well you're like you've traveled a lot like a shit ton um also yeah. you, you put up a rid 
ridiculous amount of content. So like just before we started this, I was like, oh, I remember seeing something on his Instagram. I was like, I'll just have a look for it. And I was scrolling and scrolling. I was like, it can't have been that long ago. <laughs> scrolling through like loads of pictures, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And I like clicked into one. I was like, all right, I'm, I must be gone too far. Probably like 2017. And I clicked in and it was like December 2019. <laughs> you put up a serious amount of content. It must be exhausting. Yeah, I try and do two to, well, I'd say three to four bits of content a day. There's normally um, something educational, something lifting, and then something funny. So if I can hit all three of those bases um, each day, then that's great. But I think it comes in in waves. You know, you have moments of feeling, um, I guess, like in the mood to produce content. You've got a lot of great ideas, things you want to discuss and talk about. Um, and then other days when you've got nothing to put up, so you've just put up a cheek, like, yeah. cheeky, un- cheeky throwback and it's much of a muchness. But yeah. um, I think that's really important when you get in the flow of feeling like making content that you keep going because you all of a sudden, once you get the first few out and they're a bit shit, then the, the, the ones later down the line uh, yeah. are much better. But I mean, I'm really enjoying the more longer format content now, um, what I'm doing with my email list. Um, I'm still learning to spell, but um, for sure, sit, sitting down and um, and writing an email gives me that opportunity, just like these podcasts do, to go into a little bit more detail about the message that I'm trying to get across. And um, I guess, like I said earlier, the method behind the madness. Mm. Um, go back then, like you traveled a lot. So you've been all over Europe and you've been to America, India, Australia, New Zealand, like Bali, everywhere. Is there anywhere that stands out of like, I suppose obviously Australia stands out or you wouldn't be there still, but like, is there anywhere yeah. that you've been that you're like, okay, I need to go back there. Or well, do you know what? Bali's always a massive, massive pull for me. Um, it's something very magical about that place. If you say that to Australians, they're like, it's like the first holiday that, Australians ever get it's like uh, it's, it's like Benidorm for Britain yeah it's like Benidorm or Marbella yeah. for Britain but um you know for me that place is um very special still and you know I always feel a draw to go back there um I guess for me it's the the freedom of the place you know you get on a moped in your flip-flops in a shitty t-shirt and shorts that mopeds cost you about two one pound a day to rent uh, you ride through rice patties eat good food drink good coffee um the sun's shining and you can train in one of the most iconic gyms in the world mm. um and you know that that's always going to be a very special place for me um yeah. the first time i actually went there was when uh, just when i was getting to know and meet lindell um as well so we traveled around the islands, went to Nusa Penida, and it was, as, as you would say, honeymoon phase. It was <laughs> extre- an extremely special time. And I think more than anything for me about Bali, that was the first time that, although I'd been to all these places you, you've named there and traveled all around the world, the biggest thing about travel for me and the most, you know, the thing that draws me in the most about travel is obviously the experience, but what you always want for experience is someone to share it with and someone to be able to reflect on yeah. the amazing things you experience and see. And with all the travel I'd done, don't get me wrong, I'd met a lot of amazing people, but with all the travel I'd done prior to that, I would so often find myself in scenarios where I'd go, this is so fucking amazing, but yet I have no one to share it with or no one to yeah. reflect on that time with. Yeah. But for the first time when I went there to Bali, 
and traveled with Lindor for the first time, be able to share so many amazing experiences with someone else made it that little bit more extra special. So, you know, yeah, for me good. to still always want to um, go back there and it, it gives you something different every time you go to Bali. Um, and I, I do love it there. Yeah. Um, with podcast then, so you've mentioned that you like doing them. Um, you've done a good few, like, so you've done Chris's uh, a couple of times and you've done James's it's a couple of times. funny you should say that. He just texted me. Sorry. I was actually listening. I went for, <laughs> I did my first 5k run in like, oh, like three years or something the other day. And I listened yeah. to the most recent episode you did with him on the way around. Um, but no, it's good. Like, I think I'd say part of the reason that I wanted to get you on. So like, obviously you've got an insane story um, and mm. you're like a top sportsman. Um, but I think like you're very open. Like, and I think I suppose like you've done a lot of podcasts and I think the reason that people keep coming back to you is because you are so open because like a lot of times there's people that are in your position or that have your type of role that are a bit more like, Oh no, I have to be really fucking careful what I say here. Like, because I've got people to keep happy or because I need to, you know, I need to stay vanilla. Like I can't waver one way or the other. And I think mm. like, okay, obviously you did, you did James's uh, podcast. James Smith's and James's was big, yeah. Yeah. Like one in particular had like fairly intense ramifications after it. So like you kinda just I suppose for anyone that doesn't know, so you got a four year ban for alleged doping and then you uh what would you call it? Like denied the charges. You were, like it's actually weird. So like, <laughs> I spoke to uh, one of my friends yesterday who doesn't really know anything about the sport or anything, and he's just kind of asking how the mm-hmm. podcast's going. I said I was having you on. He was like, well, "I've heard the name. Who is he?" And I was like, "Oh," and I started explaining. It. I think it's one of those things that like, depending on how the scenario is explained to someone, will dictate how they react to it. So like, if I had just said, "Oh, he's an Olympic weightlifter and he's banned for doping," then the reaction to that is like, oh, doping in sport, like shit, isn't it? Like, do you know that it's like, oh, like why would you do it, whatever. But then when I explained the whole story to him, so I was like, okay, so he was banned for four years. He went on a podcast. He talked about it. He kind of, I suppose, railed against the body of authority that banned him in the first place and then got a further three-year ban for that. And then had he moved to Australia and had loads of, like, uh, public messages put out by different lifting uh, bodies saying like if you train under him if you train in, in if you let him train in your gym if you go to any of his seminars if you host any of his seminars you're impeding on a ban and you could impose uh, have a ban imposed on yourself then you had like I suppose people who could do your seminars and not divulge that they're like you know they might not think of saying it or whatever, that they're uh, competing. But then you're judged to have been coaching a competitive athlete, therefore going against your uh, ban, therefore impeding a further ban, or they could get a ban. So, like, I think when I explained it to him like that, like, his first reaction was like, Jesus, they really fucking went after him. And, like, they, like, it was real slash and burn, where it was, like, just destroy, like, fair enough, I kind of, so, like, I suppose the way that I put it is like I'm vehemently opposed to doping in sports that aren't drug free. Like I don't understand sports that I don't understand sports that aren't drug free in the first place. I just don't get it. But sports that are drug free, Mm -hmm. 
I suppose I'm vehemently opposed to it. I think it's understandable how someone might go down the wrong path, like in desperation or whatever. But I suppose just because something is understandable doesn't mean that it's acceptable. And I think like if someone does something or they're accused like you were and the punishment is doled out and the punishment is a ban or stripping of accolades or whatever, then like that's it in my eyes. I think obviously it's difficult. Like I had Pat Fellner on the other day and he made a valid point. So he missed out on a podium uh, place at the games. And then the guy that finished third was banned afterwards. So he got mm-hmm. third place, but he missed out on the moment. Like, and he made a good point of like, yeah, you strip the person, whatever. But he was like, everything that person does thereafter is going to be come into question. So like if, the, if they're banned for doping and then they come back, like we've seen it in sprinting and stuff where it's kind of like, yeah, but mm, remember the last time, like, you know, there is that doubt will hang over it. Like, and the validity of it will be questioned. So I think like that and the punishment is the price the person pays. But like in your case, it was like Old Testament uh, justice. So it was like they, from the outside looking in anyway, they tried to just destroy you. So like you're banned from hosts and stuff, banned from training people. There was public notices put out. It wasn't just private letters or anything. It was public. Um, like I think there's punishment and then there's like flogging a dead horse where it's kind of like, you know, okay, he's beaten, like just move on or whatever. And I think what made it worse then is like stuff like, I know you mentioned on uh, Chris's podcast or maybe it was James actually about um, like Tyson Fury was banned and then threatened to sue. And then the ban was like lifted or lessened. So I suppose it's kind of like looking back when you were offered the half sentence initially with the Olympics and stuff coming up um, and especially with them being pushed back, have you regrets over not just like not rolling over, but like maybe just saying like, okay, four years is fine. Shut my mouth, keep my head down, come back. Um, so I think, first of all, I think the the thing to mention is at the end of the day, like, you know, they say that you make an opinion on someone within the first six seconds of meeting them. And, you know, I was from a lot of people that didn't know me. Um, a lot of people built their own opinion of me without actually getting to meet me and getting to know me. Uh, one of the biggest things with my drug ban was I was very open about the scenario of what had happened purely on the basis that I had nothing to hide. Um, and I spent, like I said, as you would have heard in previous stories, my whole life savings trying to prove my innocence. And when you asked me whether I would change anything and go back doing it now, knowing where I am, no. Uh, my decision still stands, you know, that my morals were more valuable than my money and, and my time within um, the sport and you know I now live with knowing that I did everything I can to prove my innocence that you know I did not consume that um, the drugs intentionally I think it's very fair what you're saying about Pat Bellona there and how you know that moment was taken away from him and I 100% agree with what you say about drugs in sport 100% yeah. against them I said that prior to my ban and I still mm-hmm. stay afterwards you know um, at the end of the day um i you are responsible as an athlete for what's in your body and you know if you're prepared to take drugs you must be able to stand and take the the punishment of that and i've never changed my standpoint on that but i am very fortunate in a sense now to have an understanding of being on the other side of the fence where you know i 
tested positive unknowingly and was then, I guess, punished by the rules that were in place for the reasons that they are. And it, it does change, you know, um, my thinking that there, to degree, there is no, um, there is no uh, line between, you know, when scenarios like this do happen. Because you have a, like I said, responsibility for what's in your body. Yeah. And as careful as you may think you are um, as an athlete, as I was, I've been te tested probably close to 50 times up to the you know, point where I tested positive and you know, never, failed, never failed a drug test. Um, it can still happen. You know? And it does catch people out. There's 42 positive cases from Austria in the year that I tested over the two years before um, I tested positive for the same substance and you know we've heard just last year that it's soon to be taken off the doping register in UFC because it is a substance that gets into a lot of things it shouldn't be in but yeah. you know looking like back on that part of my life as tragic as it was the experience of going through that um, I've definitely come out the other side and I think the reason why it was such a huge case in the doping world and the sport of weightlifting because like you said, I was so open and happy to um, discuss what I'd been through. Um, like, like, I suppose as well, I'm conscious. I don't want you to be thinking like, oh, fucking hell, more doping questions. Like, but like, it's not even the accusations that interest me. Like, it's the kind of the resilience that was shown in the comeback. Like, so I suppose I'll freely admit to being really close-minded about stuff like this. Like, I'm very black and white. Um, probably harshly so because like, I suppose the thing is, like, if someone says, oh, I didn't take it uh, consciously or whatever. But then, like, everyone says that, even the people that do take it consciously still say, I mean, I remember Vellner actually mentioned, he was like, there was one guy, and he couldn't remember the name, but he was like, someone came out, and they were accused, and they just said, oh, yeah, I did, yeah, I did, yeah, yeah. And everyone was like, And what? do you know what? And do you know what? That, that should be the exact way it should like, yeah. be. At the end of the day, and I would have been the same. If I'd intentionally been cheating and had taken the drugs, I would have held my hand up and gone, look, I tried to cheat. I got fucked caught out and paid my punishment, yeah. paid my price, you know, still a prick for doing that, yeah. but you, you pay your punishment and you move, you move on. And, yeah. you know, when we're talking about, we're talking about a sport of weightlifting here, we're not talking about a multi-million pound business where, you know, the difference between me winning gold was the difference between me taking home 20 million dollar yeah, prize yeah. pot. You know, we're talking about a fucking pat on the back and maybe 10,000 extra Instagram followers when you talk yeah. about the difference between an Olympic medalist in weightlifting and someone who just goes. Yeah. So it's a very different scenario. And when, you know, doping in weightlifting is a, is a huge problem. Yeah. You know, you would have seen that documentary that came out recently. It, it is... It's ripe, and you know you can probably so many of the top athletes do get caught out. But you look at the countries where these people come from that test positive. It's in countries where if you're from Georgia uh, or Russia or anywhere in the world in one of these third world countries, and you win a like a gold medal, it changes your life, yeah. and it will sort you out of money for the rest of your life for you your family everything will change for you if you win a gold medal yeah you win a gold medal in britain no one gives a fuck after two weeks after the olympics it's not yeah. a life-changing 
experience really in Olympic yeah. weightlifting. So therefore you can under like loosely understand how so many people in these poorer countries test positive because they're taking a risk that could potentially change their life. Yeah. So I suppose it goes back to and, what I said about like that you can understand it, but maybe not accept it or maybe not like. You know, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't ever accept it. I yeah. competed against them, competed against drug cheats myself for over 12 years of my, of probably 10 years of my weightlifting career. Would they have been people that you, you knew? Like, never condone it. But like, would you be say walking up to the platform, passing someone thinking like, I know that you've, I know that you're doping. And like, do you know, is it hard, does that make it hard then? Say, I suppose, especially in hindsight, when you got uh, tested positive, does it make it harder then when you're like, well, look at this fucker. Like, he's built like a brick shit house, and it's all coming from a needle. Like, I think the, the thing is, the hardest thing to me is, like you said, and like, like, you know, when you were chatting with Belna, you said the same thing. The hardest thing for me is the fact that people will look back on my career and not believe that everything i'd done was down to my hard work and training which it was and that's one of the the hardest things for me to live with moving forward but as an athlete having you know trained my whole life nine times a week giving it a hundred percent you know um had some of the best coaches in the world etc coach me and train me and you go into a competition hall and then two platforms over there's a guy lifting not even just a couple kilo more. We're talking 20% more than you. And you go, how the fuck is this possible? But, you know, at the end of the day, I always say that, you know, you're not guilty until, you know, mm. until proven at the end of the day. But it, is, it's, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to in, if you go into a trainer hall to go, clean not clean used mm. I've, I've trained for enough people now and you can see the difference in the physical build-up in the way they train versus someone that's taken drugs and someone that's not it's very quite evident to see mm. when you've been in the sport that long and if, if i'd been taking drugs i'd want my fucking money back because <laughs> i would get, i know i would i would because i'd guarantee that if I, if I probably was, I'd probably be much nearer the top of the medal tables than yeah. than I was finishing down in fourteenth place. <laughs> you know, I think, I think um, as, as well. Like, I mean, even personally, like I remember at the time seeing like memes or like you know whatever, like different posts about you or about like even other people that tested positive as well, and like you kind of laugh at them and you know roll your eyes at the fact like like i said it's kind of black and white that it's like oh test positive that's it like you know it's like you know casket sealed or whatever so i think it's easy for people to forget that there's a person behind the sportsman or sportswoman and like to separate the two like comes the same i suppose 100 you know, percent. yeah i was separa- i was hung out to go on. sorry even separating like you know like say something I struggle to do, I struggle to separate the music of R. Kelly from the person R. Kelly because like, you know, it's a similar thing like that. If someone does something, it kind of taints what they do. Like you say, all your other things are called into question. So I suppose like one is like, did you ever feel like that was forgotten? And then I think like when I was listening to the uh, Chris's podcast with you, like I actually remember like stopping running and then starting again when I heard you were at like, or like some body expo or something and you were he was saying that like people were having a go at you at it that he was talking to you at it and people were having a go and they're slagging you off whatever and you were like no not people they're my friends so like i suppose as well as having your stuff called into question like that has to be hard to deal with 
hundred percent. You know, when you go with everything that I went through with it, it really separated. You know, people I've grown up with in this sport and known, you know, my whole life, um, to, that would know a hundred percent I would never take drugs intentionally. Yeah. Um, you know, hundred percent knew that you know they knew me and they still turned their backs on me mm. and you know i think what was very different as well in my cases was i was doing my best to build a profile in the sport i was becoming more popular in the world of weightlifting than a lot of other lifters and it kind of i think in a in a in a sense put me on i guess a bit of a pedestal and it was an opportunity then for a lot of people um to go after me mm. in the after the situation do you think that's but, why you got such a harsh ban um or a i think that to it yeah of course you know i was definitely made an example of but at the end of the day when most people um test positive they admit to do admit to doing it they take a 50 percent discount of the ban they stay very quiet and they go and hide in the hole like that's but like even from the outside looking in, that's fucking mental that you can get less of a ban. Like I understand if you say if you get I don't know done for murder and you appeal it, you might get extra time on your sentence or whatever. Like if, you, mm. if you're sent down anyway, but like to have your ban lessened because you say, oh yeah, I did that on purpose, is bizarre. Like it doesn't make any sense. I know it makes their job a little bit easier because they don't have to spend any money on court cases and shit like that. But exactly. Like, and if I had you admit very to murdering good. something, they're not going to say, "All right, sure, just have five years in prison then," because you admitted it. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, like I've been over it so many, so many times now. You know, and I, it every time. You know, when I look back at the scenario and the way that I was, the way that my case handled, I was hundred um, percent. Yeah. You know, definitely made an example of you know i now sit here with a seven year ban in total from sport from an out of hours out of competition test mm. and this is where i think there's a massive difference between you know when you test positive for example Ilya illin's back competing before me he tested positive for two gold medals at two olympic games yeah. and he prevented two people from winning olympic gold medals and took that moment away from them and how his four-year ban compares to yeah. to my seven-year ban you know it's there's a lot of I guess um with the way that the rules are made that I can't make complete understanding of myself yeah. as a lot of people and that's why you know it does blow people's mind that I guess the the circumstances of my ban but one of the biggest things about it was because I continued to um talk play my role mm. in you know continue to at the end of the day what I do for but the sport of weightlifting is about making it fun, accessible, um, and help educate as many people as I can within this field of weightlifting on, um, and I guess sharing my passion for it. And because I've yeah. continued to do that through well serving my band, it's upset a lot of people, you know. Does that make the bond stronger then between you and people who stuck with you? So like say James Smith and Chris and those kind of people and other people maybe outside of, spotlight or you know social media spotlight like that people who stuck with you like say family and friends and stuff did it did it strengthen that bond or did it make you like i suppose did it have it must have had a big effect on your family going through that as well and your friends and i suppose it must make you more grateful then for people that stuck that took you at your word and stuck by you rather than those people at the expo and stuff yeah a hundred percent i think at the end of the day people 
people, like I said, will, will make their own opinion. Um, the people I care about, the people that, that know me um, and the people that are close to me, um, their, their opinion and, you know, how they see me is what's most important to me. Um, at the end of the day, there's always going to be people out there that will, you know, talk bad about you, talk behind your back, some of it through jealousy, some through just person just not liking you. And, mm. and that's absolutely fine. And everyone's in, entitled to their opinion. But I think the the more time or more energy that people waste worrying about what I'm doing and how much they dislike me, etc., the more it takes away from their positive energy that they yeah. should be putting into whatever they're trying to push or the message that they're trying to push. And it comes back to, you know, I was talking about this the other day about, you know, someone was speaking to me about wanting to become um, an influencer and they worried about what other people thought. They didn't have many followers and they worried about other people thought about putting out, you know, content, uh, would it be accepted? Should they be the one doing it, etc. And, at the end of the day, my goal in everything that I put out on my social media, um, I guess the educational side of things, if I can change one person's day or help one person, then I'm happy. That is my goal. The fact that I can help thousands of people and tens of thousands of people with what I'm doing at the moment is a blessing. You know what I mean? It's so much more than I could ever want for. Yeah. And, you know, as much as you can try and keep your focus on what at the end of the day my my goal is the better um yeah. and i try not lose too much sleep now about what other people's you know worrying about me if anything it still blows my mind that people sit down um sit down and spend 20 30 minutes writing a meme about me you know <laughs> um i suppose like so you obviously you, you have a weightlifting background and then like more recently you kind of started I don't know, about a year ago, a year and a half ago, you kind of started doing some CrossFit and putting up some stuff. And I remember, I remember for a while, there was a, there was a, a lot of like rumors of like, oh, Sonny Webster's going to go for CrossFit. He's going to try and qualify for the games and he's going to whatever. So like, I suppose what, uh, like what kind of made you veer into CrossFit and like, are you, are you still doing a bit of it? Like, I know I, I still see you doing like burpees and stuff like that, but like, I suppose you must be chomping at the bit if you see an open workout that's got like, you know, whatever at start and then one rep max snatch, you must be like, fuck yes, I'm going to destroy this. Yeah, I think for, for me, it was, uh, I guess when I first started doing CrossFit, um, uh, it was always a natural progression for me into doing CrossFit. I, um, I, but one of the biggest things that I worried about was whether I would get the same buzz or that sickening sort of enjoyment feeling mm. that you get after 10 minutes max calories on the assault bike, whether I'd enjoy that feeling as much as I do, you know, hitting a 190 clean and jerk, that euphoric mm. sort of buzz. And that was my biggest worry when I first started doing CrossFit, whether I'd be able to fall in love with that kind of pain because it's a yeah. sick sort of fucking horrible feeling that you know I'm sure all the listeners will will know what I'm talking about when I say that and that was my biggest worry and I began starting to do the first CrossFit work I ever did was um with the lean machines and Zach George and it was a 10 minute max carries on a salt bike and it fucking hurt I remember laying on the floor afterwards thinking kind of felt good in a really weird sort of way and I continued to start doing um a lot of a lot of crossfit movements and naturally picked it up um very quickly and i'd say more than anything it was 
down to the fact that I I knew already how to train hard through my time training for the Olympic Games. So you've got and really also, good body awareness as well, like because yeah, you're... and I hadn't yeah I had an understanding of how to execute and and learn technique and more than anything I was also surrounded with, surrounded by some of the best CrossFit athletes in the world so I had um, great coaching and the and best first start. Um, I was then starting to do some CrossFit with Steve Forsett with JST Compete he was programming for me and I was making some you know very good early signs that I was basically doing all right um, and then I can't remember what year it was but one of the CrossFit um, workouts came out and it was a max clean and jerk and followed straight into part B was like a dumbbell burpee yeah. um, thruster workout. And I set the fastest time in the, in the world for that workout. Um, and then two weeks, I think a week after the submission, I then had an email off Dave Castro and he said, look, Sonny. And it was one of the nicest, you know, emails considering, um, you know, the content the, the scenario yeah. yeah um you know it was one of the nicest emails ever really from dave castro considering how he comes across on social media basically saying that you know um british weightlifting have made us aware that you've attempted the open workout was we've had to you know take out your um submission time um they've asked us to basically honor the four-year ban that you're serving for weightlifting in crossfit too um however I don't want you to stop being a member of um, the community because what you do um, is great, you know, in terms of, you know, positive out, I guess, positive outlook. What I bring to the community said was really valuable. And, you know, he just said, can keep doing what you're doing. Unfortunately, you just can't compete in any CrossFit sanctioned events. And, you know, I thought that was, I thought I was really, it was, it was a kick in the balls because I'd finally felt like I'd had a way to, train and work hard again and then all of a sudden the air was let out of my balloon and it took me a while to come to terms with that I couldn't even do that as well um which was tough because you know I was just about getting my head around it which okay I've got a new, yeah. new goal um but I was through that time I was fortunate enough to have trained with Katrin Davisdorf with Matt Fraser um and a lot of the most influential people i guess in mm. um in crossfit so i made a i made a lot of good friends and um even at the time you know matt fraser's agent was speaking with castro to see if they could you know do anything about it but mm. you know it was really a bit of a um a bit of a non-starter so yeah it was that was again another difficult point in my life having you know it's funny like terms I... with I genuinely about two minutes ago I was like, right, that's enough about dope now and move on, move on from his band. And then I was like, we'll talk about CrossFit. I didn't realize that that had happened. Like, that's... yeah, it's similar. You know, I didn't mention that before, but then you know, a similar thing happened there. It's basically um, whether they'll, like whether, whether they honor the further three years, yeah. I don't know. Um, but it's funny, um, like the there, it's borderline stalking. Like, you know, it's even to 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 figure out that you were doing it, to be made aware that you were doing it and for the reaction to be like, right, well, we better email HQ and let them know. Like, you know, it's, it's I don't know, it's kind of, and then I suppose like, where do you draw the line? So if you're not allowed to coach people, like I'm sure, okay, like Matt Fraser has got a weightlifting background, but like, I'm sure if you're, if you're spending time with a CrossFit athlete and they do a lift and you turn around and say, 
well this is the thing whatever you know like well this is the thing that coaching right you know well no because that rule was only apparent in olympic weightlifting um whereas dave castro had okayed that i could coach um crossfit athletes i'd coached i'd obviously been zach george's coach at the regionals in berlin um helping him out there and obviously we've got nearly 13 games athletes on the academy um and i work with a lot of the top CrossFit athletes in the world on their Olympic weightlifting. Mm. Um, some of which I do publicly, some of which I don't do publicly and that's, you know, completely down to the athletes themselves. Um, but yeah, we've got, I'd say over the 10,000 people we've got using the Academy, I'd say probably 70% of them are CrossFit athletes. Mm. Um, weightlifting then, I suppose like one of the most common thoughts and definitely for me anyway, I'm sure others is like, that feeling of standing five feet away from the bar in, you know, I suppose because if you're doing CrossFit, it's like multimodal. So you're doing all the different things. So like if you're just doing weightlifting, you're, you're, you're practicing the technique over and over and over again. And you got that muscle memory and that kind of confidence builds up. But if you're doing CrossFit, you might only lift like maybe twice a week. And then I suppose I know that I, anytime I walk up to a bar, I'm like, right, it's either going to be a good day or a bad day. And then I do the lift and I'm like, okay, it's going to be a good day. And then, you know, you hit that point where it's like, no, it's actually a bad day. So like it, because it's such a mental game, like it's, it's like golf in that you're either going to do it or you're not going to do it. And there's not, no other scenario. There's not, there's no wind. There's nothing going against you. It's just you and the bar. So is self, yeah. self-talk something that you make a lot of use of? Is it something that, you find important or it now is it even something that you're even aware of anymore a hundred percent and i think with with that in itself and the psychology of limpid weightlifting isn't something that average coach will teach you mm. uh, nor is it something that i think everyone's a hundred percent comfortable talking about yet it is a huge element to olympic weightlifting we have all been in that situation where we've stood over a bar and gone, fuck, this is going to be heavy, or I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get this, or what if I miss this, I might hurt myself. All of these things, outcomes that we, are un- we can't control. Yeah. And dealing with that psychological element of Olympic weightlifting is extremely difficult. And up until about six or seven years into my weightlifting career, I couldn't grasp the fact that speaking to a psychologist would a tool be able to help add weight to my bar and some of the tactics that I then learned in the later years in my career to deal with um, I guess those feelings that we've described um, were extremely helpful in me being able to get from the point of which I was missing out on qualifying for the Olympic Games to going four years later and I guess one of the most valuable things for me when it comes to to that was understanding that I can only control or we can only control as athletes the process. Everything that we can do in order to produce a good lift, i.e. making sure we set up correctly, technical cues, making sure the bar is staying close to the body past the knee, staying focused on our mark the whole time, extending at the top. All of these body movements that we are in control of that with a, if we do right ends in a good outcome. so the only thing that we can control is the process and producing a good process and once you obsess over the process element of the lift the outcome will be good and that takes the emotion 
out of the lift completely. So it's basically you like know the, then the rugby player going for the conversion that does the same setup every time. It's basically that that everything becomes routine. It's routine, robotic. exactly, yeah. and it takes you know. It then means that whether you're lifting in front of a tent, kicking a rugby ball in front of seventy thousand people, or down the park and it's you and the dog, the process that you go through in order to make that kick is the same. And that's what you've got to do with the Olympic weightlifting. Um, and, you know, you obsess over the process, the outcome's good. And in the same breath, if you miss the lift, instead of getting angry going, fuck, and trying to rip the bar off the floor again, which I see happen all the time, when you're fatigued, angry, tense, much less like to make that lift, yeah. okay, you can actually go, no, the reason why I've missed this, shut up emotional brain for a second, is because something's gone wrong in the process and therefore i need to go back work out what went wrong in the process change it for the next lift and i'll get a good lift and that way it becomes a i guess almost like a a sequence that you go through when you lift that's much more mathematical and strategic mm -hmm. than letting your emotional brain lead you it's like being in a i guess in a poker tournament and you know your ego's telling you go all in or you know chasing like the straight or whatever it may be instead of having that kind of men mentality you have your mathematical strategical mentality um that goes right this is what i need to do and execute a good lift and that comes with experience you know the longer you perform in the sport the more mature your brain and your mentality gets in your performances um and you let your ego sit down for a second and you listen to your body and i've been in so many scenarios when i've been lifting and even in front of people and i'll hit a weight and people go more more you can do more that was easy but i know in heart of hearts that that was the limit of what my head was going to let me to do today or the fact that if i'd put more weight on the bar i don't truly believe that i'm going to be able to make it yeah. and if you step over any bar with any inkling of doubt don't bother, walk away. Because that's when you're going to get injured. That's when you're going to make bad technical mistakes. And that's when you're more likely to miss away. When you stand over a bar or in any scenario where you've got to perform, you've got to truly 100% believe that you are capable of executing the lift or making it if it's going to happen. And if you don't feel that way, don't bother. And there's nothing wrong with stepping away from that bar and living to fight another day. And that's where you can control your ego in Olympic weightlifting, um, I think like so. If if you're if, if the say the average person stepping up to a bar, if you're thinking of these processes and things that you need to to your checklist, I suppose that like you know, or feet, like you know, head yeah. up, all that kind of stuff. How many thoughts should a person have? Like, is it a case that you walk up to a bar and you're you know maybe thinking okay this time i need to make sure that the weight is in the mid foot or whatever or i need to make sure that my you know head is up or whatever or should it just be one focus for each lift or is like is there is can you have too much noise i suppose sign up for a free trial of the sunny webster academy at sunnywebster.com <laughs> no um yeah 100 you can have definitely have too much going on in your head and that's why i like to kind of separate um the lift from the thinking you know the, the snatch is the fastest movement in sport it happens so quickly the minute you try and think halfway through a fucking lift 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mine's pretty fucking Regardless. <laughs> you try, if you're trying to think halfway through something that happens yeah, in 0.1 yeah. second, the likelihood is the process of actually thinking how to execute what you're thinking about, the lift's already happened and therefore yeah. you end up missing the lift. So I separate the two. I have think box and I have play box. Yeah. So all my thinking, my technical cues, and I only ever think of two things when I'm going for a lift. Two things yeah. is a lot for a fucking bloke. And I always say that because it's true. So I'll only ever have two things to think about technically over the lift. Once I've thought them, I've visualized it, I've seen myself doing it. The rest is process. It's yeah. like a gun going off. I count myself in. When I hit one, I lift. Yeah. And then I review and think about what I'm going to do on the next one afterwards. What about then? Like, so now we've got a lot of people at home and maybe they've got a bar, but not a lot of weights, or maybe they've got no bar and they have no way of getting one because nobody has any. So like people that are worried about maybe like slipping back or not being able to move forwards, like what advice would you give to people like that? I saw someone lifting with the, making concrete, concrete plates the other that. day and yeah, scaffolds on that. <laughs> I've seen it all and you know through isolation COVID everything that's going on at the moment the biggest question I've been asked is Sonny how do I not lose my strength during this time and I'm like fuck me your strength is the thing you're worrying about most at the moment uh, even if we're just talking about your athletic performance I kid you not strength is the easiest thing to train and the fastest thing to come back it's the thing that I least worry about if I was in someone else's shoes as a CrossFit athlete or as a weightlifter. Yeah. The things that I would be worrying about as a beginner is my mobility, how I'm moving, my technique, all things that I can do with minimal weight. Yet they're not sexy. They take a lot more hard work. Yeah. Squatting heavy and deadlifting heavy is fucking cool and sexy. Makes you feel like a hard man. Looks great on Instagram. That's what I want to be doing right now in my garage. Yet this mobility, stretching, technique work for fucking pvc isn't sexy know what i need to do but nah scrap that i go back to wanting to do this crazy heavy shit and this is the thing that i'm trying to my message that i'm trying to get across to people at the moment is this is the perfect time when no one else is watching you and no one else actually gives a fuck what you're doing for you to focus on your actual weaknesses the things that hold you back i've coached over thirty thousand people globally and I would say 70% of people are held back by their technique and their mobility. And the reason why this is, and, you know, I was talking about, you know, the Chinese weightlifting and how, you know, people always try to replicate um, what the Chinese doing or what the Russian doing. And I explain like these kids start when they're fucking three years old, fresh out the womb, and they don't have any mobility issues. Learning is so much easier for them. Um, they're training full time. You know what I mean? They're surrounded by other elite athletes and that is their life from a young age. Most people listening to this podcast, like I said, will be getting into Olympic weightlifting or CrossFit at the age of 30 years old because I think you've got to be fucking 30 to be able to afford a CrossFit membership these days. <laughs> and you've been sat at a fucking desk for the last 10 years and then you've gone, yeah, I want to be a fitness professional. And you can't give someone the same learning process as a Chinese three-year-old weightlifter as a 30-year-old desk-wielding person, okay? So therefore, the process that you have to go through to learn is so much more different. And there has to be a heavy emphasis on actually being able to teach people how to control and move their bodies first 
before they even think about wearing a mess around with a barbell. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like for a load of people, this is the perfect opportunity to really invest time in the not so sexy stuff about sport. That's actually going to have you coming out of isolation or lockdown or back to your gym in a better position than you fucking left it. And you know, that's what I was really trying to get at today with, with my email is people are now actually in the best op opportunity possible, regardless of whether they've got the weight or not to actually progress as athletes. If, they can put their egos, like I said, down and focus on what they're actually shit at. Yeah. Yeah. Mobility is fucking boring though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's boring. It's not sexy. I do not disagree with you. I yeah. do not disagree with you. I think it's, However, probably, it's, it's probably the hardest thing as well, because like even, you know, like I suppose if you're, when things are common in your head, like, you know, like I, I did one of those go on mobility tests. And it was like, yeah. everything was okay. My shoulders were a bit iffy or whatever. Like, and I was, you know, doing this shit. I think, I think, every, I think everyone gets 92% on that test. <laughs> no, I, I didn't. <laughs> I think I got 70 something. But uh, like my, my shoulders were an issue. And they are an issue. Like, you know, even if like locking out in a, a push press or whatever, I can feel it like. But starting to do it then, there is that kind of thing of like, if you're squatting, you can see the weights going up and you can see, okay, this is going in this direction and this is the correct direction for it to be going with. Whereas in a, if you're stretching, you might be like, is this, am I further into this stretch than I was five minutes ago or two weeks ago? Like there, it's, it's, it is that kind of, like it's more murky, I think, because there's less markers for you to hit. And then I suppose it's probably, if you said to someone, okay, if you back squat for a month, the way I'm telling you to, you'll, I'll give you five kilos on your back squat and that person's like right okay and then they get the five kilos like right perfect whereas if you say to someone oh if you do these stretches for a month uh you'll be able to get four millimeters deeper into your squat which will help you add this weight but like you know it's harder to it's harder to measure your success now I suppose exactly and for order for anything to you know for you to improve in any area developing area it's got to be measurable at the end of yeah. the day and you know this is the same although you know mobility isn't easy to measure because it's not in a necessarily in a numeric fashion mm. what you've got to look at is still having markers or pointers within looking at the way you move that you know either depth in a squat or how far you know you can get your knee away from the the wall with your foot away from it testing your ankle mobility all these other markers that you'd look at to go right i've improved in this area and that's exactly what i do with you know with my mobility manual is I make people take a test at the start, take photos in these positions so that I can show them in 30 days. Yeah. Look, you put three centimeters on there, four centimeters on there, and you can see you're now bollocks in socks in a squat rather than a parallel. And people go, okay, great. This is, you know, it's quantifiable. Brilliant. I'm happy. Yeah. But yes, of course it's 10 times easier at a squat because you go 190, 191, 192. Or 90, 91, 92. One or 90, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I was talking in pounds. Um, your uh, Instagram then, I suppose, like, so you've got, like, you're, like you say, you're putting up education stuff and kind of more lighthearted stuff as well. But, like, I suppose a lot of things that you put up are kind of long, or I suppose very, well, what will be a long video condensed into what Instagram will allow. And you've got, like, mobility tips or short videos on, like, jumping forward or not being patient or missing at certain points and stuff like that. Do you ever feel like mm -hmm. you might be giving too much away or is it kind of a case of like dangling bread on the end of a fishing rod? Like, is it, you know, 
is it a case of like I remember I can't I actually can't remember who said it to me, but someone was like, if you give away your best stuff for free, people will come and pay for like everything then because they know that it's worth it. Is that like the operation that you're working under? Yeah, I think you're giving someone the the why and I guess the how, but then they need the tools and be able to execute it. And the most yeah. valuable thing, like I said, is I can give I could give people free access and I do to all of my programs, all of my different technical tips and cues. But the people that make the most progress are the ones that I'm actually coaching. And that's yeah. what they have to pay for. So, you know, for me, I'm, I'm happy to show people mobility drills. But then when they turn around to me, go, okay, so how many sets and reps? How often should I do be, should be doing it? That's the bit they pay for, you yeah, know. Yeah. This is how you should squat. This is good technique. This is how to correct this issue. And then they go, okay, cool. So how many sets and reps? Yeah. That's the bit they're paying for, you know. So I think to a degree, if you want to stand out in the world of social media, your content does have to be high and does have to be of value. Um, and as I've always got more to give and, you know, the people that actually come into the academy and see like, you know, my Instagram feed. Yeah, great. But versus actually with all of my academy members, I sit here just like me and you are now. They send me their video. I tell them exactly what they're going to need to go away and work on. They go and do it and they progress. So to get that personal, I guess, level of coaching with someone, mm. you know, is super high, um, which is, you know, what people are paying for and the value um, in the academy. But I think, you know, you got to kind of let with that sort of thing. The results speak for themselves. Every program's got over 1,500 to 2,000 reviews where people have improved and made progress. And, mm. you know, um, I'm really grateful for the people that we do have within the academy because, you know, they do scream and shout about it and share their progress. And, you know, I'm proud of every single one of them. And then what's nice about it is the community that we've created within the academy is they know each other. They've made new friends. They've, you know, really built a community that they interact within. And, yeah. you know, I know, um, I reckon probably 20 or 30 of them even have my phone number because even I've made friends um, within that community and people that I've connected with. So it's a lot more than just a platform to educate. It's a, it's a, it's a community as well. And what is it if people want to sign up? SunnyWebsterAcademy.com, is it? Yeah, SunnyWebsterAcademy.com or SunnyWebster.com. We did a, you know, the thing that you're going to get with, with that, even if the, you get the free trial, is a real level, um, a real personal level of time with me. Mm. Um, and, and that's what's really important with everyone that, is joining my academy. I want to make sure that everyone is getting that personal time um, and and progressing. And at the end of the day, what they put in, you know, the more time they put in, the more videos they send me, the yeah. more they're going to get out. Plus, you might get a pair of oh, lifters out of it. I saw you sending <laughs> lifters to yeah, we, we are, yeah, I often will buy, you know, guys that are training hard, new lifters, new new kit, protein whatever it is they need because you know when someone's putting in hard work and showing that for me they they get rewarded and um you know we've got i've got two pairs of lifting shoes that are going out this week to a couple of different um academy members uh, i get my bromelio fours this week and we're going to be running a competition to give a, an academy member a pair as well you know it's it's all those sorts of things that just sweeten it like i said it's not just um an app that you're signing up to and you get access to you're you're buying into a, a community which is you know when you look at it for 39 dollars a month it's two cups of fucking coffee a week to get yeah. you know 
get elite level coaching as much as you like for a full week. But you know, it's, it's one of these, it's one of these things. I think when you're getting someone to invest in your product, it's like people would rather spend, I guess, $200 or 200 euros on a pair of lifting shoes than for the same amount of money. They could get a lifetime membership to the Academy and they go lifting shoes because that's (laughs) a quick, cool fucking flex at the gym yeah whereas like having to sit and study and upload videos and put in hard work is kind of the <laughs> yeah well i emphasize that that's but... the battle <laughs> um your complexes then so like uh, i suppose a fairly prevalent thing on your instagram is like these party pieces that like like i feel have dangerously gotten out of hand <laughs> like is that something that you started off and like built up the same way you would a squat or whatever because i can't i like i can't imagine a scenario where i go from a front squat to flicking the bar (laughs) catching it an overhead squat catching it on my back with no hands like how did that come about was just messing around with an empty bar and then gradually adding weight or what happened it's all clickbait it is everything that i well, it fucking do works because i end up watching yeah. going like he's gonna kill himself one of these days yeah but everything that i do on social media is for a reason everything is calculated and as much as people sell say yeah you know at the end of the day i'm putting stuff out there to get a reaction to get a thought provoking um action out of you with what i do and you know when i post a uh, something controversial post a funny complex it causes people to comment talk interact you know and the post goes more viral yeah. people more people see me and it draws them into what else i've got to offer um the actual madness behind the complex came out of um i want to entertain people I get fucking bored personally of scrolling through Instagram and I even with the weightlifters that I follow, I'll see five guys all lifting a weight that I can't fucking comprehend. They pick it up, they put it down, they walk off and I go, bastard. And then you get no connection there, I guess, with that person person. And there's no level of entertainment because I can't even comprehend how heavy 230 kilo may feel. And the complexes was from a selfish personal point of view um, was a way for me to still get a PB without hitting a PB weight because it would be the first time I'd done a particular type of complex. And secondly, to give people a different type of viewing, some, some entertainment with, with my lifts. And the the thing that's so difficult about doing them is it requires a hell of a lot of control and all of that is with what i'm doing the complexes is just being in control of where the bar is in relation to my body and that just comes with years and years and years of practice so like i said it's it's been a build-up of difficulty to the point now it's almost like gymnastics <laughs> where they get dif- difficulty rating <laughs> and uh, runtime was even like i was thinking when you were talking about setting up for a lift earlier on and you were saying like oh you walk up to the lift and you're thinking about keeping your head up i was like you must walk up to a lift thinking like okay so i'm gonna catch it in a zombie front <laughs> squat and then flick it up and i was like you know that's the longest checklist you can imagine like surely but people always ask that how if i plan it out of my head first but the thing is i'm only focusing on the first movement so like when i'm doing the complex i'm trying to get the first element of it right and then from that moment on it's just a case of how long my engine can run for as to what I can sew together and where my grip is as to what I can transition into. Um, And that's kind of where it comes. But what's quite fun about it as well is, and I love this when I 
post them up on the uh, on Instagram and stuff is when people try at home with like broomsticks or just with you know really light weights because you know they get a massive I guess sense of achievement to be like I managed to do that complex as well Sonny yeah, yeah. with you know even if it's 100 kilos less it's really nice that people buzz off you know being able to join in the fun with me and try something something new because you know lifting 150 kilos in a snatch isn't achievable for the vast majority of people but with a 20 kilo bar doing a little complex with enough practice and skill Mm -hmm. people will do that and you know it gives them a little bit of buzz too and it's it's really nice to be able to share that with other people so i think even like i was looking at airlifting for with a sugar watt app for training at home and i was looking at airlifting for this evening and there was like uh, snatching and then we're doing clean and jerk and it's like clean hang clean and two jerks and even just with that i was like fucking hell that's a lot of time with the bar in your hands where it's like <laughs> I yeah need to, i think i need to practice doing the zombie clean or something so i can just skip the the hands bit um yeah of course listen right so we're coming towards the end i like to do kind of a quick fire thing at the end and either or and then a couple of longer questions um to finish it out so snatch or clean um it depends what's going well but i'd say snatch uh back squats or front squats front squats commonwealth games or olympic games olympic games quads or glutes quads uh long black or flat white flat white best piece of advice you could give to someone starting out um patience you know i think you know with with weightlifting um, I'd say spend as much time as possible focusing on, like I said, um, getting a full range of motion before you put a bar in your hand and get yourself a good coach and be very fucking patient. SonnyWebsterAcademy.com. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who would you pick to join you on a team to take on the CrossFit Games? So two girls and a guy. Um, I would probably have Noah Olsen just because he is the happiest bloke He'd make in the world. you feel fucking amazing about yourself no matter what happened yeah he's just the one of the nicest nicest people that yeah. i've been fortunate enough to to meet in the sport um I'm, I'm picking these athletes purely on my personal experience with them as well um i would have i'd i'd have katrin um on my team um as well she's got a fierce competitive edge to her mm. Um, and yeah, she's just, you know, I've trained with her many a time. She's got real tunnel vision and she's a real, really wants to win. So she'd be our fire. Um, and then my last pick would be, it wouldn't be Tia. It would be Sarah Sigmund's daughter. Cause again, you know, um, one of the things I love about her is again, she's a fierce competitor, but I've, seen her and the time that she's got for people um her fans she does genuinely love them and will always stop um to have photos of people and she seems to really care about the people that support her so she would be my last member of my team cool my super Um, my super team (laughs) your sporting idol then um it's this is a this is another question that comes up a lot um and it's not someone that i can just name an individual person because I'm not necessarily inspired by an individual's person's success, but one of the things that I guess motivates for me is personality traits of, of athletes and, and people's like ability, 
I guess how they're perceived by people and their ability to deal with different scenarios. Um, so I'd say one of the, like, the biggest things for me was meeting some of my heroes or sporting idols that I looked up to um, as a kid and to realize how um, normal and humble they are. And that is like, for example, a personality that I hope to possess when I'm older is that, you know, people look back and go, he's exactly like, you know, what he comes across like on social yeah. media. It's or, funny. Like, know, I, he's, think, he's very I think humble. I've been kind of, it might be, it might be because I'm picking the people that I asked to come on, but like, it seems everyone that I've spoken to has had the same or a very similar outlook of like, I had Jacob Hepner on a couple of weeks ago and he was like, once at the end of my career, even if I never win the games, I want people to say like, oh, he's a really good guy. And like, I think that seems to be a common thread. And again, it might be because they're the people that I follow and that's the stuff that I like to see in my feed is that kind of positivity and that humbleness, I suppose. But I think, you know, you're talking about how people handle different situations as being an admirable trait and you're talking about people. Yeah, of course. uh, Humbleness as being an admirable trait. I think having never spoken to you before, I think uh, you've, I'd say you couldn't give two fucks, but I think you've endeared yourself to me a lot with your, I suppose, giving up your time. And then I suppose just your bounce back ability, like that resilience is like, it's fucking insane. The level of resilience you have that you have and what you've managed to build uh, from like the ashes of just being burned totally by the sport that you i suppose you felt was going to give you everything you need and then it was all whipped away from you so i think if they're the thank you if they're the traits that you look for in a sporting idol i think you're you're going about the right way for having that said about you when you're finishing up um thank you you shaved your head in quarantine in lockdown how are you finding that mate i'm actually you know i used to worry that i used to constantly be like fuck I'm, I'm thinning my hairline's going I used to stress so much about it I'd be like fuck this is no good and but I genuinely did and it used to get on my tits a bit and um, I was looking at hair transplants and being this one I to do and then when the whole like covid cut thing came out I was like fuck it there's gonna be any time I'm gonna shave my head and see how the old bold thing looks now's the time yeah and the guy especially as it was for charity and the guys were you know they were up at about three thousand pounds I think when um they approached me the shave name and dominate uh and nominate and uh i said that if it gets to 10 grand i'll shave mine off and sure enough it gets to 10 grand and off it came and do you know what it's been one of the best things in the world because now i don't fucking like i i don't get up and i do my hair and i go oh fuck. you know what i mean i'm like this is cool i can i can get on board with it i'm quite liking um the bald head I got sick of having hair a while ago and I shaved my head thinking like, oh, at least I won't have to worry about it anymore because I just have a buzz cut. But then it becomes a different problem because you're like, oh, is it getting a bit long now? Do I need to sh-? So like you're constantly... Yeah, yeah I just it, literally like, buzzed over it then before I come on line yeah. with you there. But I actually, I shaved yeah. in a mullet. In oh life. my God. <laughs> uh, listen, Sonny, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Best of luck with the academy and everything. I hope it keeps going from strength to strength. And um, yeah, you've like you know, like I said, you've definitely got a fan in me and I think I was kind of, you know, neither here nor there beforehand, but I think listening to you talk and speak, I think you're, you're a good guy. So I hope everything works out the way you want it to. Thank you very much. And thank you for your time too. And can I just say to everyone that's listened to this episode, thank you so much. And if you have ever got anything else that you want to ask me or you need some help with your lifting, you know where to find me. 
Um, I'll always get back to you if you send me a DM. And if you do, anyone does want to jump on and trial the academy and get me helping them out with their lifting, then feel free to do so. I appreciate your time too. Cool. Cheers, Sonny. Thanks, man. Thanks, buddy.